Our scripture passage for this morning is James 5, verses 12 through 20. James 5, verses 12 through 20. It's been a good journey through the book of James. I have thoroughly enjoyed studying through it and being challenged by it. Um, It's been very practical. It's been very... um, It's where the, the rubber meets the road. It reminds us of... The fact that the gospel changes us in practical, real ways. That it changes how we live. That it changes how we relate to one another. It changes how we serve one another. It changes how we think about the world. You know, the elections that are going on now. It changes how we think about governments and leaders. And it changes everything about us. God's Spirit, as He regenerates us, as He gives us regeneration, He is making us new. And so this morning we will see... Yet another way this applies to us, and in another way that the gospel changes us. So let me read for us James 5, verses 12 to 20. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner... From the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us by your word. We know that you are speaking to us by your word. And so we pray that you would make it effective in our hearts, that we would receive it by faith, that we would consider areas of our lives in which we are living for ourselves rather than one another. We pray that you would move us by your spirit to begin walking in line with who we are in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our theme for this morning is this. Because Christ has made us a family, we make it our aim to live for one another. Because Christ has made us a family, we make it our aim to live for one another. Now, I've spoken about this New Testament emphasis of the one another commands. It's all throughout the New Testament. Really, it's all throughout the Bible. People living for one another. God's people living for one another. We, we have been saved by the work of Christ on our behalf. And having been saved by His work, having been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and having been called together and covenanted together as a church, we must now make it our aim to live for one another. And this won't happen automatically. This doesn't just happen automatically. 
Now, it does spring from a a changed heart, but that changed heart causes us to take initiative in one another's lives. It will only come as we begin to sacrifice of ourselves to make it happen. It will come when we prefer to spend time together rather than only simply doing our own thing. It will come when we see it as no inconvenience to be together for the sake of pursuing Christ. It really is so easy to follow the easy way. Many churches do it. Many believers do it. Probably all of us have done it and are tempted to do it from time to time. We are prone to do it. Perhaps we have even now gotten into the rut of seeing church in unbiblical ways. So we could begin to see it as a function that we go to once a week. We could begin to see it as a place where our spiritual consumeristic needs are met. But the church, the scripture teaches, is the people of God gathered out from the darkness into his marvelous light. Gathered to taste and see that the Lord is good. Gathered together to participate, this is amazing, to participate in the heavenly realities of Christ and his kingdom. This is a taste of the kingdom of God. As we hear his word proclaim, as the saints join together in offering prayers of praise and thanksgiving and petitions to our Lord. And the church is a people, a family, which belongs to God and whose members live for one another. Now, there are a number of ways that this applies to us. There are too many ways to count how we could offer our lives for one another. But from our text, I want to focus on just three of them. It might be difficult for you to see the relationship between uh, these last 10 verses or so, 12 to 20, because James is closing out his letter. And often uh, what writers will do is towards the end of their letter, letter they'll make some closing remarks, some closing exhortations. So, so James, having written about how the gospel changes our lives when it comes to how we suffer, how we trust God in the midst of trials and suffering, he now, as he closes, concentrates. And what I think is kind of a common thread throughout these last verses is that we are called to live for one another. So I want to focus on just three ways we live for one another. You can write down just the main terms if that helps you. One, speak truthfully. Two, pray. And three, watch over. Speak truthfully, pray, and watch over. So first, we live for one another when we speak truthfully to one another. James says, But above all, and this signals a transition to the closing of the letter. You remember in the last couple of chapters, Paul has, uh, James has been talking about um, what ungodly wisdom looks like and what godly wisdom looks like. Ungodly wisdom is selfish and full of pride and seeking its own, where godly wisdom is seeks to live for the other. You see in the beginning of chapter 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And he calls them spiritually adul- adulterous. You adulterous people. Friendship with the world means enmity with God. 
And in verse 6 of chapter 4, there's that truth that James wants to drive home. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he shows how this works itself out in our relationship to one another. He considers um, what ungodly wisdom looks like as you plan for the future. It takes no account of God. He warns the rich in chapter 5. Those who are using their, their wealth for their own selfish pleasures and actually oppressing the poor, oppressing the poor believers. And in verse 7 of chapter 5, he calls on the believers who are suffering to be patient because Jesus is coming back. Be patient because the Lord is coming. And this moves directly into our passage for this morning. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear. This command, do not swear, he puts it in the negative first, do not swear, and then he puts it in the positive. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Or all you need to say is a simple yes or no. Really, this is an echo of Jesus, too, as we often see throughout the book of James. Matthew 5, verses 33 to 37. Listen to how closely this corresponds with Jesus' words. Again, you have heard it said that it, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. But it's clear from the rest of Scripture that God doesn't forbid oaths, for instance, like we made this morning. Uh, vows that we made to one another, committing ourselves to one another. There's some background here to Jesus' command and to James's command. The scribes and Pharisees, what they would do actually was they, they came up with rules about what kind of oaths and promises were actually binding. So they would make a promise and later down the line they wouldn't feel like keeping it. And so they would say, well, I only swore that oath by the city of Jerusalem. I didn't swear by God himself. Therefore, it's not binding on me. I don't have to keep that oath. Only those made in the name of God were absolutely binding. So people were using it as a way to wiggle out of their promises, a way to make a promise and yet not actually keep it. We might think of a kid going back on his promise and saying, well, I promised, but I didn't pinky promise. I didn't cross my heart. Well, and then as adults, we might say, well, I said that I would do it, but I didn't promise, you know. I said that I would do it. Yes, I went back on my promise. You didn't understand what I was saying. You didn't understand that I wasn't giving you a promise or an oath. But what you're ultimately trying to do when you swear an oath Think about it. When you, if you were to say, I promise, I promise that I'll do it this time. What you're doing when you're, you're doing that, or actually what you're trying to do it, is you're trying to give weight to what you're saying. You're trying to give an extra veracity to your words. I want you to really believe me when I say this. That's what you're trying to do, but do you know what you're actually doing? You're diminishing the veracity of all your other words. You're watering down your own trustworthiness. 
You're actually showing yourself to be less trustworthy when you make those kinds of oaths than if you just gave a simple yes or a simple no. James gives a warning. Do not do this so that you may not fall under judgment. Remember, he's just talked about the judge. The judge is standing at the door. Remember this in light of Jesus' coming. And he's giving this, remember, he gives that truth of Jesus' nearness as both a comfort, because we should be encouraged. We're patiently waiting the Savior, and also as a warning to continue to examine your own life to see if you are walking in the ways of the Lord. So we must speak truthfully to one another. And when I say truthfully to one another, I don't mean speaking truth to one another. We must do that, absolutely. I mean speaking truthfully, being a trustworthy person. Simply letting your yes be yes and your no be no. So consider, are your words trustworthy? Can you be trusted? Can you be counted on to do what you say that you will do to keep your commitments? Do you shade the truth sometimes to get out of a jam? To get out of a word that you have already spoken? And knowing, however, we're not perfect, all of us are going to make commitments that we sometimes don't keep. And so sometimes being trustworthy means admitting when you've not been trustworthy. Because there's a temptation to shade the truth to protect ourselves. And so we say something and then down the line, when something happens and we can't keep our commitment or it turns out that what we've said was not a very good thing, I didn't say that. Why do you think I said that? And we shade the truth. We actually did say that. To be trustworthy means we must own up to our own faults, to our own broken promises, to our own failures, to our own failed commitments. See, why is it so hard for us Christians to admit that we are sinners? And I mean, not just generally, yeah, I'm a sinner. I mean, in specific ways. Why is it so hard for us to admit, say, if I said something, why am I so tempted to say, no, I didn't say that? To try to protect my own character. We know the depths from which we've come. We, above all people, know how sinful we are. We should know anyway. We know the depths of our sins, at least because of this, because we see the lengths to which Christ went to save us. Christ on the cross for you is how bad your sin is. The death. The only Son of God. That is the only thing that could save you. When we begin to understand the gospel, we can let our yes be yes and our no be no. Because we have nothing to hide. We have nothing to fear. We have no character to protect in that sense. We don't have to protect ourselves. And we can begin to grow in our trustworthiness. So let us speak truth to one another. Brothers and sisters, let us be trustworthy for the sake of one another. Now, the second word that I mentioned was pray. We live for one another when we speak truthfully to one another. And we also live for one another when we pray for one another. Verse 13, James says that certain circumstances call for certain responses, verbal responses. Another 
kind of thread that ties these verses together is our, our speech, how we use our speech for the glory of God and for the good of one another. But here he says circumstances call for certain responses. We are not Stoics. We are not Vulcans, if that helps you a little bit more. We are not uh, people who lack feeling. We feel and respond as we go through different circumstances. James here commands us to respond in appropriate ways, ways that match what we are going through. So are you suffering some kind of trial or challenge? then let that turn you to the Lord in prayer. Are you cheerful? Are you joyful? Sing praises to the Lord. If you're all by yourself driving down the road and you're filled with joy, start singing praises to the Lord. We ought to respond to our circumstances. And then if you are sick. So he distinguishes uh, between suffering and trials and the suffering and trials of sickness. Um. James has in mind, as he talks about trials throughout the book, various kinds of trials, all kinds of trials that you may go through. If you're sick, call the elders and have them come and pray for you. Now, I want you to know this because you may not think of this. We've had um, members of our church who have gone through sickness or trials of sorts. um, And different churches have different cultures about when to call the pastor. But if you're sick and in need of prayer, call your elders. We want to pray for you. We want to know if you are suffering, if you're facing a trial. I want to know and I want to be able to come and encourage you and pray for you in your sickness. He says, call the elders to pray over them in the Lord, to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. That symbolizes a a special consecration to the Lord. And the prayer of faith, he says, will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Well, the prayer of faith is simply believing that God can do what God can do. That He can heal. That He will heal heal if it is in accordance with His will. As, As James has said at the beginning of the letter, we must pray in faith. Because if you don't have faith, if you're wavering, you shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Why would you expect to receive something when you're just throwing words away without any faith? And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now the commands that he gives after after this section about responding to your circumstances in certain ways are this. He says, therefore, in other words, in light of God's working in response to the prayers of His people, remember, God loves to hear and respond to the prayers of His people. He delights when His people come to Him and call on His name. So in light of God's working in response to the prayers of His people, in light of His readiness to respond, in light of His readiness to heal and to forgive, therefore, he says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Now notice he gives an example as well. He he shows that the effectiveness of prayer is proven through Elijah's example. I think what James wants to drive home with this example is not the extraordinary nature of Elijah, but the ordinary nature of Elijah. He is a human being just like we are. And yet, look, look what happened when he prayed with faith. He had faith in God 
ultimately to do what God said he would do. See, Elijah is not, in Deuteronomy 28, just making up something he can pray for so God would respond miraculously. What's going on there is God had promised to bring curse upon his people for disobedience. If you disobey, then I will strike your land with famine. The sky will be like bronze. It will not give rain for your crops. And so Elijah is actually praying in accordance with the will, the revealed will of God. The prayer of faith then is praying according to God's will. Praying according to the revealed will of God. And if we do that, we can have absolute confidence that God will answer his prayers. So I would even encourage you sometime, as you pray, spend time pouring over God's word and you will see the revealed will of God and then conform your prayers to God's will. God is ready to respond, to fulfill his promises, to do what he has said that he will do. We live for one another when we pray for one another. Now last week, I mentioned a good practical example of how you can do that is by getting a list of our membership and praying down the list in your personal prayer times, praying through our membership. I'm going to make the stakes a little higher this week. Um, So we talk often about meeting with one another throughout the week, that this is an important part of who we want to be. We want to be invested in one another's lives. We want to be invested in maturing one another in Christ. And you might say, I don't know what to do if I get together. What do I do if I get together with so-and-so during the week over coffee or something? What do we talk about? We don't seem to have much in common. Well, here's a place you can start. Meet with someone else, confess your sins to them, and then let them pray for you. Now, you can start with little baby sins. You don't have to go to the deep end immediately, okay? You can, you can start with some of your so-called respectable sins. But meet with somebody, confess your sins to them, and let them pray for you. Why does this feel like such a weird idea to us? This is what God's people do with one another. This is who He has called us to be. And we can't draw a direct line between our sins and our sickness, We don't have that kind of knowledge. This belongs to the secret things of God. But here's one thing. Every physical sickness provides us with an opportunity to scrutinize our spiritual life. Every physical trial that we go through, every sickness that we go through, gives us opportunity for introspection. But what do we do? What do I do? Go straight to the medicine. Give me something that will make me feel better. So I was in Africa and I was sick with malaria. And I had just a terrible headache one day, I remember. And we were at some village. We were trying to do some ministry and share the gospel. And my head was just killing me. And so I went to our African brothers and sisters. I was like, do y'all have some aspirin or something? Do you have some pills I can take? I, I really have got to get something for this. That was my first thought. My first thought was, how can I make this better? How can I feel better? And the first thought of the African pastors, let's gather around in a circle and let us pray. Let us pray. So consider this, brothers and sisters. Do you really pray for other believers in the church? 
Do you fulfill this command to confess your sins to one another? We think it's to our harm to confess our sins to one another, but actually it's our great, to our great benefit. Listen to David's wisdom in Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. And listen, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Unconfessed sin is an infected wound. And the more you cover it over, the worse it gets and the more it stinks. And if you let it go too long, it will actually be the death of you. So brothers and sisters, let us confess our sins to one another. Let us pray for one another that we might be healed. And really, even if you're an unbeliever, isn't this the 